Hello and welcome to the Decorum Talking Newspaper for the week ending Saturday the 16th of September 2023. This is Chris and your other readers are Kathy, Jeremy and Eleanor. This week's editor is also Eleanor. All are members of Team One. Most of our news items are taken from the Hemel Hempstead, Berkhampstead and Tring Gazette and Express newspaper. All telephone numbers are on the local code of 01442 unless stated otherwise. This week's headlines. Funding questioned. More buildings to be checked for crumbling concrete. And politicians call for rail fare freeze. These and other stories follow. Here is the news. Hello, this is Cathy. Funding for a new Hertfordshire hospital is at best unclear, a politician has warned. Watford Borough Council greenlit plans for a rebuilt general hospital in July 2021. However, according to the authority, the NHS and Hertfordshire County Council failed to sort out their paperwork before a change to local planning rules last year. This meant the build was never formally granted planning permission. So Watford Town Hall's Development Management Committee revisited the very same plans two years on, on Tuesday, September the 5th. Councillors backed the Vicarage Road site plans once again. Some committee members suggested that without a funding plan in place, the jury is out on the new unit's final designs. This is a conceptual design that might or might not actually turn out to be a real design Probably not, said Liberal Democrat councillor Mark Watkin, who represents Nascot Ward. Funding is at best unclear. Evidence has tended to show that funding doesn't flow as well as the health authority would like, and maybe as this authority, which is keen to see a hospital on this site of some sort, would like. Labour councillor Nigel Bell said, we're back where we were two years ago. He added... This committee, I hope, will send a clear message again to the government that we need to get on with this. We need to have the proper, definite funding together to get the new hospital that Watford residents and those across the county have desperately needed. The Westminster government has promised to put money towards Watford General Hospital from its £20 billion new hospital programme, but there are 17 hospitals ahead of Watford in the queue for cash. Among them, seven built using reinforced, autoclaved, aerated concrete, rack. This is Jeremy, continuing on with that story. In May, Health Secretary Steve Barclay, MP, confirmed the Hertfordshire project can proceed and that it will be constructed using the Hospital 2.0 standardised approach. NHS leaders in West Hertfordshire will need to, to submit a full business case to the Department of Health and Social Care before money comes forward. Outline plans will allow West Hertfordshire Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust to build a new unit up to 17 storeys high. The Trust has permission to almost double capacity from around 600 beds to a maximum of 1,000. Liberal Democrat councillor Ian Stotesbury, who represents Calloland Ward, attended the September 5th meeting. Following the meeting, he said, securing planning permission is a milestone which has been long sought for. 
Fundamentally, this has been delayed for far, far too long. It will bring with it improved facilities for staff, obviously improved facilities for our patients, but also there are lots of investments due to come in for our road network and our cycle network and for job opportunities in Watford. Watford Borough Council has been fully behind this expanded hospital for the longest time. We are desperately in need of it. Alex White, Chief Redevelopment Officer for the NHS in West Hertfordshire said, we are working closely with the new hospital programme on the development of Hospital 2.0. While Hospital 2.0 is still being developed by the new hospital programme, we do not anticipate it affecting our design or timeline. Hello, this is Eleanor. Plans are being drawn up to survey a number of county council-owned buildings in Hertfordshire amid mounting concern that a type of concrete could be prone to collapse. Reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, or rack, is a lightweight material used in the construction of public buildings between the 1950s and the 1990s. But it is weaker than traditional concrete, and there are concerns it could now be prone to collapse. Following advice from the Department for Education, Hertfordshire County Council said it was to survey up to 100 schools for the material. And now council officials have said they're drawing up plans to survey a number of other county council-owned buildings too. The county council own a range of buildings that includes libraries, day centres, fire stations and offices. It is not known which buildings will be surveyed. We've already surveyed all county council-owned buildings built between 1959 and 1989 and did not find any rack, said a spokesman for the county council. In light of the updated guidance, we are also now going to survey county council-owned buildings built between 1950 and 1958 and 1990 and 1995. However, at the moment, our main priority is school buildings. The risk posed by Iraq was highlighted by the Department for Education just days before the start of the autumn term. Officials said that no school or college known to have RAC should remain open without proper mitigations in place. Earlier surveys by the County Council, concentrating on schools built between 1959 and 1985, had identified three of their schools with RAC that were in need of remedial work. According to the County Council, that remedial work was completed last year. County Council officers have already started to contact council schools that have been earmarked for this latest tranche of surveys. And on-site surveys by specialist contractors are expected to begin within weeks. Academies and voluntary-aided schools will be responsible for their own surveys and any subsequent remedial work. But council officials have already said they will work with the DFE to support them as necessary. If a survey finds rack within a school building, that area of school with the school would need to be closed until remedial work had been completed. Initially, it was thought a further 120 Hertfordshire schools would need to be surveyed, in line with government guidance. But it is understood that revised estimates now suggest that will be fewer, at less than 100. 
Burkhampstead-based politicians are calling for rail prices to be frozen amidst fears that ticket prices could increase by over £400 a year. Liberal Democrats have called for rail fares to be frozen for the next five years. The political group has reached this conclusion after discovering that Retail Prices Index, the RPI, inflation in July reached 9%. This is the figure normally used to increase rail fares from next March. Victoria Collins, the Lib Dem parliamentary candidate for Harpenden and Berkhamsted, said that this huge hike in fares, coupled with ticket office closures, was a betrayal of the towns like Berkhamsted and hard-working commuters who live there. The Department of Transport announced that rail prices would not increase above the inflation marker, but no further guarantees were given, meaning the rise could be just under 9%. Calculations from the political groups show that if rail prices rose by 9%, it would cost commuters an additional £420.84 to get from Berkhampstead to London Euston. As well as calling for a freeze of ticket costs, the party is calling for a rethink over planned ticket office closures and for the government to resolve ongoing industrial action. Ms Collins said... Liberal Democrats are fighting for a fair deal for Berkhampstead's commuters and families who will be left forking out even more for train journeys in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis. Ministers cannot keep turning a blind eye to these problems, especially when people are paying more for less on our rail network, with more delays, cancellations and their failure to deal with the strikes. If this government had even a shred of decency... They would freeze rail fares immediately to help families struggling here in Berkhampstead. Under the cost of living crisis the Conservatives created. As things stand, there is no certainty at all. We should be making clean forms of transport cheaper. Yet this Conservative government is determined to make rail more expensive than ever before. Three weeks ago, John Glenn, the Chief Secretary to the Treasury, told Sky News... There are tough decisions now around how to use its budget in a way that suits commuters and suits the economy as a whole. We have not come to the end of that discussion yet. This week in history. September the 14th, 1982, Princess Grace of Monaco, sometimes better known as American actress Grace Kelly, died in Monaco's hospital without regaining consciousness after a car crash the previous day. On this day last year, the Queen's coffin was due to be taken from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall to lie in state until the morning of her funeral on September the 19th. On September the 15th, 1974, civil war broke out in Beirut between Christians and Muslims. On September the 16th, 1963, Malaysia became independent and a mob celebrated by burning down the British Embassy. September the 17th, 1961, one of London's biggest Ban the Bomb demos ended with 830 arrested, including actress Vanessa Redgrave and playwright John Osborne. 
On this day last year, cheetahs were flown from South Africa to India, where they were declared extinct in 1952, as part of efforts to reintroduce the cats in regions where their population had dwindled. On September the 18th, 1976, in China, 800 million citizens paid a last tribute to their leader, Mao Zedong, at the beginning of a memorial service. For three minutes, one-fifth of the world's population stood in silence. Education chiefs have agreed to pay out more than £5,000 to the parents of a Hertfordshire child following a complaint to the local government and social care ombudsman. In the complaint, the parents of the primary-aged child highlighted delays in the Education Health and Care Plan, EHCP, process stretching back to 2020. And they pointed to the impact of missed education and SEND support on the child who had stopped attending school. Following an investigation, the Ombudsman found there was fault by Hertfordshire County Council. In the report, the Ombudsman suggests the child had never had a suitable EHC plan in place since the Council decision that one should be issued in October 2020. The report does acknowledge that from September 2020 to January 2021, and from November 2021 to July 2022, the child did receive support from the Council's Education Support for Medical Absence Service. And it acknowledges the role of a private tutor arranged by the child's parents from December 2022. But it found that fault by the Council caused the child to miss three and a half terms of education and support for their special educational needs. The Ombudsman has directed the County Council to complete the reassessment of the child's needs without delay. The Council has also been directed to pay the family £3,500 to recognise three and a half terms of missed education. And the Council must pay a further £1,000 to the parents and £300 to the child in recognition of the avoidable distress caused, as well as a further £300 because of ongoing uncertainty. A spokesperson for Hertfordshire County Council said, we would like to apologise to the family involved in this case. We are committed to working in partnership with young people, parents, carers and schools to ensure that all children with SEND and EHCPs in Hertfordshire receive the, re the support they need and deserve. The number of children being identified and who may require SEND support continues to increase, raising challenges both nationally and here in Hertfordshire. In common with many local authorities, we are experiencing an unprecedented increase in requests for specialist provision, with a 47% increase in pupils with education and healthcare plans, EHCPs, since 2019, as well as the additional challenges due to COVID-19. We have recently announced an extra £5 million investment in SEND provision, which will help us recruit up to 80 new frontline staff and build capacity to deliver our SEND duties.
This investment, alongside our ambitious SEND transformation program, will help us ensure that all children and young people get the support they need in the right way, at the right time, and in the right place through a truly inclusive system. Open land and water in decorum have been developed in the three years to March 2022, new figures show. The developments, which include homes, industrial buildings, transport and utility sites, among other uses, have been built on areas such as grassland, forests and waterways, including lakes, canals and reservoirs. The figures come as Housing Secretary Michael Gove announced plans to repeal so-called nutrient neutrality rules. Under legislation derived from the EU, Natural England instructs new developments to be nutrient neutral, meaning developers must demonstrate their plans will not add to the ecological burden on local habitats or pay for mitigation if they do. However, under the changes proposed, this requirement will be watered down to become guidance. Meanwhile, the latest figures from the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities show 8.4 hectares of forest, open land and water in decorum had been converted into developed use from 2019 to 2022. In total, there were 164 hectares of land use change completed in decorum in three years to March 2022, including agricultural land, vacant sites and residential gardens. Across the UK, 48,500 hectares of non-developed land were built upon, of which 4,800 were forest, open land or water. Mr Gove's plans aim to provide an additional 100,000 new homes in England by 2030, saying, we are committed to building the homes this country needs and to enhancing our environment. The new plans come in spite of the Conservative backing off on house building targets in December after a revolt from backbench MPs. However, Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer has hit back at the easing on targets, announcing he would loosen Greenbelt building restrictions and back the builders to increase housing and help would-be homeowners whose dreams have been shattered. In decorum, 36 hectares of land were built on for residential purposes between 2019 and 2022, including land both previously developed and non-developed. The High Sheriff of Hertfordshire 2023-24, Liz Green, is now inviting nominations for the 2024 awards. The awards will focus on the High Sheriff's scheme for the year and will seek to celebrate and recognise Hertfordshire charities and groups who either a work to help adults and young people to improve and develop their reading and writing or b work with vulnerable individuals who have lived, lived prison experience or, or are on probation or those recovering from addiction, domestic abuse or homelessness. The annual High Sheriff Awards provide an opportunity to recognise and celebrate some of the fantastic work and initiatives that voluntary organisations carry out 
which enable Hertfordshire to be a better place to live. Nominated groups will be considered by the High Sheriff's Panel and award winners will be announced at the High Sheriff Awards evening in March 2024, where they will receive a financial contribution in recognition of their outstanding work. Funded through the High Sheriff's Fund, a charitable fund managed by Hertfordshire Community Foundation. The application deadline is Tuesday the 3rd of October 2023 at 5pm. A nursing home in Hemel Hempstead marked Raksha Bandan, a festival of love and protection in Hindu culture, with an afternoon celebrating the friendships that have been forged in the care home. The team at Watermill House on Rose Lane organised the festivities on August the 30th to support the interests of Hindu <coughs> resident Harry Durari. Harry, aged 76, is originally from Mauritius and moved to the UK many years ago. The former mental health charge nurse is living with dementia and made Watermill House his home in 2016. To celebrate Hindu culture, the home played Bollywood music for the residents to listen to and the lounge was decorated with bright, colourful streamers. Senior carer Lily Horvath brought in saris, bindis and bangles for the residents and team members to try on, providing residents who weren't familiar with the festival with an insight into the traditional outfits worn for Hindu celebrations. Raksha Bandhan is celebrated to honour the brother-sister relationship, but not necessarily just blood relations. Traditionally, sisters tie a raki, a band woven with red and gold threads, around their brother's wrist as a symbol of love and protection. Lifestyle coordinator Sue Case said, Hilda and Kay have both forged close friendships with Harry, who is unable to communicate verbally. Kay often sits and chats to him, and Hilda spends quite a lot of time with him every day. When she sits with him, she holds his hand, chats, and reads the newspaper to him. Both ladies were delighted to embrace the tradition of Harry's culture by tying rak rakshij round his wrist as an act of friendship. Hilda Warren, aged 91, joked that, once Harry has hold of my hand, he doesn't like to let go. I love chatting to him, and we keep each other company. I enjoyed the celebration very much. It's always nice when we all gather together. Kay Hawes, aged 92, added, It was a great event to put on for Harry, and I could tell that he absorbed the atmosphere. Plus, the outfits were wonderful. Victoria, manager at the Versing Home, added, We always take into consideration a resident's religion, nationality or culture, as these are likely to have a major influence on their preferred music, food and everyday routines. Inclusivity is so important and that always begins with discovering the history of our residents and finding out what is significant to them. Patients could face delays because of a limited supply of medical equipment amid concerns items are missing or can no longer be maintained, it has been suggested. The unavailability of safe medical equipment has now been recorded on the East and North Hearts NHS Trust's Corporate Risk Register as an issue that may affect the Trust. And on Wednesday last week, September 6th, 
The updated register was presented to a board meeting of the Trust, which runs the Lister, Hartford County, QE2 and Mount Vernon hospitals. According to that register, planned preventative maintenance has not always been possible because items have been in use or are unaccounted for. And some items, it says, are no longer fit for purpose or reliable due to the end of their maintenance support. Without action, the risk register suggests that there could be a risk of potential delays to patient care as a result of the unavailability of safe medical equipment. But the register also outlines a number of steps that have been taken and are being planned to mitigate that risk. For example, maintenance programmes, it says, have now been shared with clinical leads to ensure the equipment is available for servicing, with policies revised and updated. And it says the Trust is drawing up plans for an equipment amnesty and a complete survey of missing equipment following an earlier audit that was carried out by an external company. The Register also highlights plans for a new equipment management database and for a radio frequency interaction tagging project. The updated corporate risk register was noted at the meeting of the Trust Board. And in a statement issued by the Trust, Deputy Chief Executive and Director of Finance Martin Armstrong pointed to action that is being taken to address the availability of safe medical equipment. Patient safety is our top priority, which includes safe management and maintenance of our medical equipment, said Mr Armstrong. We are taking steps to improve our processes for maintaining our medical equipment and ensuring it is safe and fit for purpose. The charity Willow, which was started by former footballer Bob Wilson and his wife Megs after their 31-year-old daughter Anna died of cancer, has announced the appointment of husband and wife David and Frankie Seaman as honorary presidents. This strategic decision marks a significant milestone in the charity's mission to improve the quality of life of young adults with life-limiting illnesses, aged between 16 and 40, by providing special days out, mini-breaks and treats. The Siemens were already Willow ambassadors and the two couples share a long friendship. Bob Wilson, OBE, and David Seaman, MBE, built a close bond over the years based on their passion for the beautiful game, mutual respect and commitment to making a difference to the lives of others. Former Arsenal goalkeeper Bob has been an instrumental figure in David's life both on and off the pitch. During their time together at the club, Bob took rookie goalkeeper David under his wing, offering guidance and support but their connection extended beyond the football pitch. David said, Bob has been a mentor to me throughout my career and our friendship has grown stronger over the years. Frankie and I have witnessed firsthand the incredible impact his charity has on the lives of young people facing difficult circumstances. And when Bob shared his vision for Willow, we knew this was an opportunity we couldn't pass up. Bob said, 
When we were thinking about the future of Willow, they were the obvious choice. It felt like a natural progression. Their passion and dedication will undoubtedly propel the charity to new heights. A Willow spokesperson added, as honorary presidents, David and Frankie are committed to working with Bob and Megs to bring hope, joy and memorable experiences to those facing serious illness. Their shared vision, coupled with the wisdom and experience Bob and Megs bring, will further strengthen our ability to touch the lives of young adults and their families. Willow was founded in 1999. It receives no government funding and relies on the generosity of ordinary people, companies and trusts to fund its work. It has shops in Hemel Hempstead, Biggleswade, Welling Garden City, Hatfield, Letchworth Garden City, Stevenage and Hartford. Burke Hempstead Citizens Association, the BCA, is among those that have hit out at proposals to close the ticket office at Berkhamsted Station. London Travel Watch is conducting the public consultation regarding the closures, which would see mobile staff at the station and the introduction of touch-in and touch-out travel. In a letter to the consultation, BCA Chairman Gordon Bluck states, for many rail users, their first engagement with the railway is the ticket office, where they can talk to someone who has the patience and knowledge to explain how to get the best value ticket and the optimum route for their journey. We believe that the loss of the staffed ticket office, open every day at regular times, will be a huge disincentive for people to use the railway, just at a time when government are trying to encourage the use of public transport and to reduce congestion and pollution it will also lead to higher levels of fare avoidance. The train company is proposing roving staff on hand to help with using ticket machines. But Gordon adds, these have the limitation that they are not able to issue all of the tickets that the ticket office can sell, thus financially disadvantaging passengers. In its own objection, Harts County Council has raised concerns over the provision of assistance for those passengers that need it, and safety of lone travellers, especially women. It has asked that if train companies are determined to push ahead with closures, that no ticket offices be closed until measures to simplify ticket purchasing have been put in place, and that guarantees are given that staff numbers will be maintained to assist passengers. Now we come to the information slot, and this is followed by the obituaries, what's on, and any more news. A message from the Natural History Museum, Tring. Here at Tring, we are working towards being as accessible as possible. On the 19th of September, we are giving a free museum highlights tour for blind and partially sighted adults. To book a place, please visit our website, https colon forward slash forward slash ow dot ly forward slash capital T y e capital H five zero capital P capital F S Z K 
Greenway Primary and Nursery School is looking for other schools or community areas to plant trees that have been grown on its Crossways Berkhamsted site. The school was given 50 native British tree saplings two years ago as part of the School Tree Nursery Initiative set up by the Earth Restoration Service, which aims to plant another 50,000 trees and enough flowers to attract 20 million insects across 1,000 sites in the UK by 2030. The school was given 10 each of hawthorn, crabapple, oak, dogwood and hazel trees and the children helped plant these in a nursery bed in the school grounds during Easter 2021. The trees have done incredibly well despite two very dry summers and about 90% have survived. Now they need to find sites in our local community that could benefit so are actively seeking requests from other schools or organisations that have the space and ability to plant one or more trees during this autumn, October, early November. If you are interested, contact admin at greenway.hearts.sch.uk. The Jehovah's Witness magazine, The Watchtower, is now available on the British Wireless for the Blind, as well as in Braille or large print. The obituaries on the family announcement page this week are Martin Allen Byot, Shirley May Crockford, James Peter, known as Jim, Herbert, aged 66 years, Barbara Selden, aged 86 years. May they all rest in peace. And now we have what's on. Comedy, Marcus Birdman, Old Town Hall, Hemel Hempstead, September 23rd. His quick quips and dark humour have delighted audiences for the past 20 years and made him a Britain's Got Talent star. But Marcus suffered a stroke in 2021 and has quite a story to tell. Visit oldtownhall.co.uk to book. Music. Paul Young, Grove Theatre, Dunstable, September 16th, 7.30pm. The 80s hitmaker sings hits and tells stories about his remarkable career, which has included classics like Wherever I Lay My Hat, That's My Home, and Every Time You Go Away, plus a performance at Live Aid. Visit grovetheatre.co.uk to book. And theatre. Life of Pi, Milton Keynes Theatre, September the 19th to 23rd. Based on the global phenomenon and winner of the Man Booker Prize, selling more than 15 million copies worldwide, Life of Pi is the acclaimed and hugely popular adaptation of an epic journey of endurance and hope. After an epic storm in the Pacific Ocean, Pi is stranded on a lifeboat with four other survivors, a hyena, a zebra, an orangutan and a royal Bengal tiger. Winner of five Olivier Awards, including Best New Play, the show features striking visuals and top-class puppetry combined. The Times call it breathtaking. Visit atgtickets.com forward slash Milton Keynes to book.
at St. Peter's Church, Berkhamsted, on Saturday, the 23rd of September, at 7.30pm, the Bridgewater Symphonia's 25th concert season opens in style with the overture to Verdi's opera La Forza del Destino, The Force of Destiny, Bartok's Concerto for Orchestra, and Strauss's Four Last Songs. Get your tickets online for £18 or £20 on the night, under 18s get in free. Tickets available from eventbrite.co.uk. Odd at the Old Town Hall, Hemel Hempstead, on the 25th of September, SBM Comedy Club present Screaming Blue Murder. And on Saturday, the 14th of October, Patty Boulay presents Patty Boulay, Billy and Me. And on Friday the 20th of October, The Book of Darkness and Little Light Mighty present Haunted. And on the Friday the 3rd of November, the Chaz and Dave tribute, Rabbit Rabbit. Contact oldtownhall.co.uk or telephone double two eight zero nine one to book. Graham Green is arguably Berkhampstead's most famous former resident. An annual festival, now in its 24th year, celebrates his life and legacy with a compelling mixture of accessible talks, readings and film screenings. This year, prominent speakers from the UK and abroad will take us into the world of intelligence in which Green served as an MI6 officer and about which he wrote many novels and film scripts. Charlotte Philby, the granddaughter of the notorious double agent Kim Philby, who was a close friend of Graham Greene, will speak about a new novel she has written concerning her grandfather's early career. Other speakers will look at Greene's film projects, including the controversial production of The Quiet American, which will be screened at the festival, as will the superb 1999 film The End of the Affair. The festival is held from the 28th of September to the 1st of October, mainly in Berkhampstead School, where Green grew up under his father, who was the headmaster. For details and tickets, head to www.grahamgreenbt.org. The longest-running live music theatre show in the home counties, The Pepper Show, returns in October for its 34th year. The Pepper Show is the flagship fundraising event of the Pepper Foundation charity, which raises funds for children's hospice at the home care. The show returns to the David Evans Pendley Court Theatre Tring, performing six shows from Tuesday to Saturday, 14th of October. 2023 will be the biggest Pepper Show production since its post-pandemic comeback in 2021. The show features a cast of more than 30, performing an ambitious set list of pop and rock anthems from across the decades. Also returning in 2023 is the full Pepper Youth, Orchestra, Youth Choir. For 30 years, the show has played an important part in fostering musical talent within the community, providing the opportunity for children aged 8 to 17 to learn about music performance. 
contact thelittleboxoffice.com forward slash pepper forward slash event forward slash view forward slash 180620. A fundraising dinner will take place in Berkhamsted in a bid to raise funds for the campaign for the West Hearts 21st Century Hospital Solution. The campaign for a new centralised hospital for West Hearts is spearheaded by Gordon Yearwood, who was responsible for the planning, design and construction of the Hospice of St Francis. He told the Living Magazines that the plan is still very much viable as the £1.27 billion tower block scheme currently proposed at Watford has not had its business case approved. The West Hearts 21st Century Hospital Solution will provide far more accessibility and will cost only half as much. It will also be a far better environment for patients and frontline staff. The next steps are to raise money to promote more public knowledge and support and to produce further analysis reports to convince the government. The hospital will, he added, be more accessible, centrally located, offer faster diagnosis and treatment and offer local town centre satellite support services. The event will be held at Berkhamsted Town Hall on Wednesday 27th of September, starting at 7pm. The fundraising three-course dinner and presentation costs £35 per person. Book via suebeardshaw at gmail.com or gordonyearwood at aol.com. He added, if you support our cause but are unable to attend the fundraising dinner, a £5 donation to West Hart's 21st Century Hospital Solution through the above would help. Back for its fourth year, Burko Fest Book Festival is returning to Berkhamsted Town Hall on Sunday the 5th of November with exciting internationally claimed names ranging from Sunday Times top-selling fiction and non-fiction writers to musicians and comedians to theatre and film directors, many of whom have won literary prizes and awards in their areas of expertise, it's an amazing diverse mixture of talents. They will be available for Q&A sessions as part of their session and book signing. The event will be hosted by Robin Ince and Nigel Barden. Speakers confirmed so far include Jonathan Coe, Armando Iannucci, Cariad Lloyd, Joe Caulfield, Robin Ince, Natalie Haynes, Patterson Joseph, and Lewis Hancocks. Contact burkofest.com. The Olgivas Professional Award winning Family Panto is back this December with a fairy tale world of enchanted pumpkins, a handsome prince, and some very special footwear. Everyone's favourite rags to riches heroine, Cinderella dreams of going to the ball and meeting the prince, but will her wicked stepsisters prevent her? Or can she outwit them with the help of her best friend Buttons and a spell or two from her fairy godmother? And will she remember to keep her eye on the clock? 
suitable for all ages and filled with spectacular special effects, fabulous songs, wonderful costumes, great gags and oodles of slapstick. And of course, plenty of fun-filled audience participation and sing-alongs. It's a proper family treat. And the theatre is delighted to welcome back to its stage CITV star Chris Edgerly, who delighted audiences in last year's production. Having bagged Outstanding Achievement winner in last year's Pantomime Awards, Chris will be starring as Buttons in this year's Panto with his madcap blend of humour and slapstick. For tickets, contact www.elgiva.com. Football. Hemel Hempstead made it four draws in their last five games as they were held one all at Worthing on Saturday. Hemel took the lead early in the second half when Joe Iacafano latched onto a header from George Williams and finished well. But Worthing equalised with eight minutes to go through Joe Colbran and the points would be shared. Hemel now get back in action this weekend in the FA Cup when they visit Royston Town, who play a level below the Tudors in the Southern Premier League, Premier Central. Berkhamsted suffered a disappointing defeat on Saturday when they became the first team to lose to struggling Long Eaton United this season. Mika Jebison's second-half goal did the damage, meaning Burko have just one win and three draws from their opening seven games. Burko were due to go to Leamington on Tuesday the 12th and go to Eastbourne Borough in the FA Cup on Saturday. Basketball. Hemel Storm dominated their first game back after the summer break as they overcame USA Select 123-73 to in an exhibition friendly last weekend. Looking to replicate the achievements of last season, it was total domination as Storm raced away to a comfortable win. They came into the game with two players unavailable, new signing Ade Atiba absent and Tez Allen who was recovering from an injury. New head coach Mark Clark was unavailable, as was assistant Michael Darlow, which left assistant coach Tom Frederick and director of basketball John Burnell on the bench. It was a fantastic team performance with high intensity, especially towards the end of the game, where the physicality and athleticism of Storm proved to be too much for USA Select. Although the opening stages were tight, some unselfish plays managed to find an open player outside the three-point line, alongside the aerial presence of Hakim Silla and Braden Inga. The Storm fans were treated to an array of entertainment with highlight plays, especially coming from Matt Dessous, who scored a poster dunk and a spectacular windmill dunk in the closing stages of the game. Veron Ease also showcased his talent and athleticism, dunking home the ball and fighting for putback attempts at the offensive end. It was not only the new signings who showed their ability. Seth Swalbe had an outstanding game against the team he represented two years ago, using his pace to get past defenders and finish well at the rim. 
Storm shot with a high percentage and were well disciplined when they did not have the basketball. This saw New Zealander Braden Inger have a huge impact on the game, registering many blocks to his name. Towards the end of the game was Storm's best period. The full court press was executed to perfection, drawing USA Select into making errors, leading to easy finishes and dunks in transition. Overall, it was a good start and a promising performance for a Storm side who are looking to win back-to-back league titles. Storm begin their, fence, uh, their defense of the Kit King Trophy on Sunday with a home game against Essex Rebels. Tip-off, 6pm. Top scorers, Hakeem Silla, 25 points. Braden Inger, 19. Seth Swelvey, 15. Veron Ease, 15. Blaze Tap writes, Getting the balance right makes perfect sense. There was a time when I lived for my work. 11 or 12 hour days on top of tedious commute were commonplace and I was available to anyone who needed me, pretty much all of the time. My job defined me, even after becoming a father for the first time. But, I'm happy to report, all that has largely changed for the better, although Mrs Tapp still occasionally admonishes me with a sort of sigh that can only come from a long-suffering wife whenever she catches me sending one last email during the news at ten. These days, being dad to a couple of single-minded chips off the old block, as well as head chef, chief bottle washer, not to mention chauffeur, at our place is now how I'm now most commonly known. It, I wouldn't have it any other way, which seems to be the case for many of my pals. And who our, our parents used to dismissively describe as acquaintances. Some have reached great heights in their chosen career, while others have taken a fun-first approach to life, but are equally happy with their lot. It turns out that this is increasingly becoming a core British characteristic, with an international study of people living in 24 countries finding that those living on these shores were the least likely to say that work was important. The research shows that 73% of people in the UK said that work was an important part of their life compared with 96% in Italy and 94% across the Channel in France. These findings may come as a surprise to some, especially those who have a 1950s view of the world and still subscribe to the tired and incorrect view that we're the only ones who are really working while everybody else is in the, in the beach, on the beach or in bed. Perhaps it should come as no surprise that younger generations are least likely to think that work is the be-all and end-all. There will be those who will immediately point to this as a contributory factor to our recent lack of economic growth and poor productivity. But we remain a G7 nation and are still a major player on the world stage. One of the theories for this change in attitudes to work is that those born from the 1980s onwards weren't born in the universally hard-up times that their baby boomer parents, or indeed their folks, 
experienced. While nobody in their right mind, me included, will play down the importance of money, I think those who crave a more balanced lifestyle are on the right lines. Some of my most interesting colleagues are younger people who are not only incredibly effective for what they do, but also live life to the full away from the office. Some are out every night of the week doing something different, such as dance classes, book clubs or sea swimming. At their age, all I was able to do in the evening was order a Big Mac meal from the drive through following yet another late one in the office. Thankfully, staying late to impress the boss is becoming as outdated as fax machines and tipex, which might have as much to do with changing attitudes as it does with the trend of working from home. And while there's no hard evidence to suggest that younger generations are any less capable than those who came before, I believe that the work isn't everything approach is that right is the right way forward after all. Most normal people aren't generally remembered for their successful careers. I've not been to a funeral yet when the dearly departed has been praised for their ability to send a word perfect email or being able to master a spreadsheet. Life is for living, not for staring at screens for hours longer than you've been paid for. We're coming to the end of this week's news and we're sorry we've just had a technical hitch. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are 6.30am and 7.17pm. For those with access to the internet, our news is uploaded to our website soon after the recording each week on a Thursday evening. This can be found by visiting dtnhemel.org.uk. If you wish to listen on Alexa, say, Alexa, open the talking newspaper skill. Alexa will ask you which broadcast you want to listen to. When prompted, reply, play the decorum talking newspaper. This part can be tricky. If Alexa offers the wrong station, just say no and then try again. For those who are listening to this week's news via a memory stick, after the music, there is the immunity section that gives details of various groups and the contact details of organisations. Please remove your memory stick carefully from the player and return it to us in the pouch provided. Seal it up firmly, turn the label over and post it back to us using any Royal Mail post box. No stamp is required. Thank you for listening. Until next time, it's goodbye from all your readers me, the editor, and Mike and Martin, your technicians for this week. Goodbye. <laughs>